0: Welcome to the East Main Podcast. I am your host, Brian Brodeur, and thank you for listening. This episode is part three of my conversation with former chief executive of Solid State Logic, Piers Plaskett. In this episode, we hear about his adventures owning and operating Stella's Blue Sky Diner in Iowa. And in that conversation, we find out his secret to making a great milkshake. Also, Piers tells me about the importance of integrity and loyalty in business. But to start out, we'll pick up where we left off in part two. Let's hear about Piers' interactions with the Beatles at Apple Studios in London. Of course, I have to ask the obligatory question, you know, what, if any, interactions you had with any of the four Beatles?
1: The one I didn't interact with was was John, which rather sadly, because he was um, sort of banished, or banished, wrong word, uh, locked in the the U.S. during his uh, Green Card application. Right. I met Yoko. Yoko came to the studio. Hmm. I did some work with Ringo. Ringo had a company called ROR, um, it was a furniture company.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: He did exotic reproduction furniture, and I worked on the project for perhaps one of a more bizarre customer, the Shah of Iran. Okay.
0: Not everybody can say that. All
1: right. It's not on my resume. <laughs> and how did that go? Well, it was, it was just putting together back then what would be called a hi-fi system. To go into this furniture, sure, right. I met Paul, who came, I think, for a mastering session. Uh, George, I've got to get my my years right. I think I met George at Tittenhurst Park at his studio. All just you know thoroughly decent, normal human beings,
0: and of course, you know, contributed wonderful music. Oh yeah, there was that too. Can you compare working in London with New York? 'Cause you've described in your conversation with me, you know, doing both. Can you just described
1: the differences. The the Beatles had a a, a big meeting in New York, obviously, because John couldn't leave because they wanted to decide what they were going to do with their various businesses. There was Apple clothing and some, some other things. We knew that the studio was fine because it was very profitable and everything was great. However, the outcome of that meeting was that they closed everything except for, you know, the core Apple corp or Apple corpse to you know manage the royalties and the affairs of the Beatles and so forth. Yeah. And so, you know, suddenly a uh, word came from New York, Apple studios was closing. Uh, everybody got fired except me because I was, I was the cheapest on the payroll.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: So I stayed on for a, like an additional month while people sort of trundled through and they were, you know, buying equipment and so forth. And some regrets about my time there because there was a massive tape library. Yeah. Which I looked at and that's all I did. But hey, so anyway, left left Apple, went to Trident Studios. Sure. World famous place, of course. And I was there for a couple of years. And one of the mastering engineers left to go to New York City for a job. And he was corresponding back to us about how much money he was making. He was making a thousand dollars a week, and we were like, "That's impossible."
0: And again, timestamp this. This is this is later seventies, right? This has got to be seventy-six or seventy-seven, maybe. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, uh,
1: six, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So a grand a yeah. week at the studio in New York. Yeah, and uh, as a mastering engineer, and it was because you know his brand was I did a bunch of albums for for you know very famous uk bands sure and we we're like it's impossible there's no way but to answer your question the the difference then between a uk recording studio and let's say new york recording studio because i would say london and new york were my uh geographical experience right in london right. it was very much the school of hard knocks you joined as a t-boy whether you were a man or a woman, you were a tea boy. And guess what you did? You made tea. Yeah. All day, every day, tray after tray. You know, you carry around what generically referred to as, uh, by some as trucker. Mm. And you made everybody tea all day. If you did that well for maybe a year, you might be allowed to move a microphone in the studio. And eventually, if you endured that abuse of almost no money and endless tea making you graduated to being an assistant engineer and that uh, working around some phenomenal engineers sort of trial by fire Mm -hmm. you eventually became a recording engineer and that process from your first cup of tea to your first major album was maybe five years And it was the same throughout London Recording Studios in the 70s. Sure. Much to my despair, my first day at uh, the recording studio in in New York, nobody made me tea. (laughs) I had to make it myself. I said, where's the tea boy? They were like, what's that? Yeah, what are you talking about? You're the tea boy. (laughs) But I overnight tripled my salary. Right, yeah. Doing exactly pretty much the same job fixing stuff. And the cost of living between London and New York, almost identical. So I was immediately in a whole new place. Right. Fascinating.
0: So I'm going to take a big left turn now Mm. because we're going to talk about cost of living because you're in Iowa. Mm. And I want to hear about Stella's Blue Sky Diner, right? Because you... You get out of the audio, the pro audio business, you get out of the pro audio business and decide that you want to get into the restaurant business. Mm. Uh, Tell me about
1: the diner and tell me about why that was appealing to you. It was appealing for perhaps many of the wrong reasons. And I'm sure you're familiar with the old joke about the music business and it's how to make a million dollars in the music business. is You start with 10 million it's the same in the restaurant yeah. business except i didn't have 10 million dollars i'm used to working hard for a living and uh, i love entertaining and i thought that the 1950s diner vibe we had a mm-hmm. uh, 1956 seaberg jukebox yeah fully reconditioned we had all the remote uh, heads uh, re and wow upgraded the electronics and you know put far too much money into uh, the way that uh, the the diner sounded of
0: course you did <laughs> of course you did please continue
1: <laughs> i was one of the, the the few people um that noticed <laughs> but yeah it was as and this is certainly not unique to me i think that anybody who's ever owned and operated any restaurant will tell you it's very much a labor of love and uh we went into it full steam. We hired a great a great team. The demographic of the serving staff was high school, so 17, 18-year-old, which meant every August, a whole serve of them left, and we had to bring in a whole new slew. Uh, we spent a lot of time on training. Uh, I had a general manager for a while who complained about how much time we we're spending on training. He says, you know, you train these kids and then they leave. And I said, well, what happens if we don't train them and they stay? <laughs> and, you know, training is so important in any business. But if you're talking about a high school kid and uh, teaching them the Sullivan nod, which is uh, a way to get people to nod with you, teaching them to upsell, it's it's a business. And, you know, my kids were young, but uh, one of the Wonderful things about the the labor laws is that you can bring your kids and have them work in your own business at virtually any age. Right now, you're not going to put them around the fryer in the kitchen, but you know, having my nine-year-old greet customers and take them to a table was a wonderful thing. And then there were the milkshakes. Yeah, we got it to a point where we had a, a hundred different flavors of milkshake. Oh. Perhaps one of the more bizarre ones was bacon and egg. But, you know, it's sort of breakfast in a cup. What was your favorite flavor? You know, there was something that I knew nothing about, which is malt. Okay, yeah. Malt powder. And in diner language, you have a shake or you have a malt. And adding malt powder to a milkshake elicits this wonderful flavor dimension of yumminess. If anybody knows, you know, Maltesers candy, that's what's in the middle of them. I suppose my favorite was was pretty, pretty simple. I think uh, strawberry, banana, vanilla, probably something like that. That's a good one.
0: Of course, diners, you know, here in the States, if you were in high school in the 50s, you'd meet up with your friends at the malt shop. Yep. And that, of course, is referring to how the shakes or you know, how the drinks were made with malt. Yep. And we don't necessarily see that anymore. And certainly, teenagers are on TikTok. They're not meeting at the malt shop. But it, you know, that doesn't really exist. So that, that is really a fascinating thing, A 100 flavors. I want to ask you, how is running Stella's Blue Sky Diner similar to running a
1: recording studio? Interesting. Well, both businesses have a couple of things that are sort of identical. You need a good crew, and you need to take care of your customers. And I think that uh, a recording studio, you are often once you're in session, you're unless you are the engineer or producer, you're pretty much keep to yourself. And there's very rarely milkshakes spilled on the floor. <laughs> I think that that in you know, what I encouraged in, in the diner, um, and you know, within Solid State Logic as well, is um, there's no such thing as a bad idea. And so in our you know, morning meetings before the, the rush started, anybody could bring up anything, whether it was, one could hope, some cost-saving measure, or, or uh, perhaps a new flavor of, of shake or whatever. We printed our own menus, so it was very easy to update them. But you know, so much of it is about customer care. And I think owner operators can spend so much time in the back room doing the books and operating and worrying about the bottom line. Yeah. We forget to go out there and talk to people that bring them business. You know, it, it's really easy to get loyalty. I would like to dig into this. I'm fascinated. Go ahead. Loyalty versus repeat business. I think that one of the biggest challenges of any business is building customer loyalty. Right. And key thing about the word loyalty is what a customer will overlook, what a customer will tolerate. I think if you mess up, whether it's the steak isn't done to the right temperature um, or you Spill something on a table or whatever how you recover from that will affect how that individual views you and your company and you know the the chinese symbol for crisis is the combination of the symbol for danger and the symbol for opportunity right and i think in in any business if you're faced with something that's gone wrong or even horribly wrong Um, you know, my lesson to, to my team, whether it was in the restaurant or, uh, within solid state logic is, okay, how are we going to come back from this stronger than the way that we went into it and how are we going to ensure that that person that we just upset will forgive us and you got to work hard at that. And I think that successful businesses know how to do that. Hmm. I think Apple's a pretty good example. The Steve Jobs Apple rather than the Beatles.
0: Apple computer, yeah.
1: I mean, the, the very first time I broke the screen on my phone <laughs> was the day before I was going to be flying out on a business trip. And I zoomed over to Apple. And the guy said, let me take a look at this. And um, came back with a new phone and says, here you go. I said, what? Right, right. Have I bought any other phones since then? That kind of behavior generates extraordinary loyalty and it's you know it's, it's a wonderful thing sure yeah i traveled many millions of miles uh, on various airlines um I joined american airlines frequent flyer club right around the year uh, that it was launched which was 30 40 years ago and in 2019 they made me a concierge key person yeah which Uh, I was surprised about because I I didn't fly 10 million miles like uh, George Clooney, but uh, Concierge Key, wow. There is some serious customer recognition. When you land, when you step off the plane, there's somebody standing there who will whisk you down an outside stairway, down to a Cadillac SUV, zip you across the tarmac. I mean, this is rock star treatment. Yeah. and. Out of all of the loyalty clubs I I have joined over the years, American Airlines sort of head and shoulders uh, above everybody else. And, uh, you know, the first time somebody met me at the door, I'm like, oh, wow. The second time, the third time, the 10th time, I'm like, this is like amazing. Uh, And I began to get used to it. And I thought, Mm -hmm. well, be careful. This is only for a year. At the end of this, you're back to being a pleb, <laughs> and I managed to, uh, you know, bring my my kids on a couple uh, of flights with me, and that was sort of just so that they could see, you know, all that time I spent away from you. Here's small recognition from a vendor who's saying thank you, and you know, when the captain comes back. You know, in a scene from the movie and comes up to your chair and, and seat and says, I noticed your name on the manifest and wanted to thank you for all of your business. They're like, wow, you're welcome. And these are my daughters. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a loyalty program and uh, and one that uh, Americans certainly got very right. So my advice mm-hmm. is uh, be loyal to your vendors because it will reap dividends
0: your, your career has spanned a period where everything went from analog, completely analog, there was no digital, to now essentially nearly everything is digital and the tools are at our fingertips mm. as, as creatives, not just pro-audio people, but mm. as in, the tools are in the hands of creatives mm. at a very widespread and, and accessible way. Mm. Can you briefly... Reflect on that change and how things were created and how the business was done Mm. when you first started Apple Studios and then to Trident and onward. And then now where, you know, the, the Grammy award winning engineer for Billie Eilish, her brother, you know, is doing everything in his bedroom with a laptop, right? And wins the most engineered Grammys ever or whatever that is. Give me your reflection on that change. I'd yeah. love to hear your two cents.
1: As as an operator, as an engineer, my my career was was only in in analog and we had some 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 you know wonderful uh, times you know turning turning the multi-track tape upside down <laughs> uh, to record reverse echo and being really careful that you're not erasing the bass drum um, cuz that's the only way to get reverse echo was, you know, to record it on a track of a multi-track. Yeah. Um You know, worked on a, a an album with um, Miko. It was the disco version of the Star Wars theme. Sure, of course, yeah. You know, the cantina scene was uh, trombones recorded at. Uh, I think the final product was at fifteen. So, I'm going to go with the trombones were recorded like at seven and a half ips, and then played back right octave higher at, at fifteen, and yeah. got that wonderful goofy you know cantina sound and so having three people work on the final mix that are you know working working the mutes and so forth and if you didn't have enough people doing a window pane edit into the multi-track to cut out the click that you couldn't you know you couldn't mute and so i think that it, it pushed the creative envelope to, to no end you know, what can we do that's you know that's that's different
0: meaning there were limitations and the limitations may had made you think creatively is that what you mean
1: yeah i mean because the, the limitations of the technology how how can you come up with different ways of doing it yeah and of course you know today all of that stuff is uh, available at a push of a button and i think you know for the most part that that's wonderful i think that it, it allows uh, for a huge amount of creativity The th- thing i worry about a little bit is that um if you're not limited by the technology you know how many vocal takes are you actually going to take yeah and if you end up with 76 how on earth are you going to figure out which is the best one you know if you've got three tracks for vocals and you're trying to do a comp you know you'll make it work or even one track in in, in some i worked on a Pointer sisters album where we had to jump between tracks because i can't remember the producer's name richard perry sure okay yeah you know he'd erased uh, some lead, lead vocals and the, the girls were very upset with him and and boy that was a packed multi-track and i heard it for the first time when he brought it in and we had to record right then and there and i didn't even mix up and it's like oh it was fun it was fun nothing like a bit of pressure
0: yeah there's no undo button there's no command z to undo you know hitting
1: that record button and you know the cool thing about being an engineer in those days is that you you came with the room. You were considered to be you know, sort of on par with the guy that yeah it wasn't considered much of a science. And I, I must admit that I never considered myself to be a particularly brilliant engineer. And it wasn't until I completed a couple of tracks for the Pointer Sisters that Bill Schnee ended up mixing. And when I bought the album, it was like whoa, <laughs> it sounds. <clears throat> Nothing like it did in my studio. Wow. So there's some magic in there.
0: Well, whether you will acknowledge it or not, you know, from the recording studio to, you know, your seat in the executive office to the diner, you are a rock star, Piers Plaskett. (laughs) I cannot thank you enough for for spending this time with me. I could speak another hour and a half with you and we would have more stuff to cover. Um, I urge everybody to check out your career, check out your mentorship. And uh, again, I I can't thank you enough for speaking with me.
1: You're so very welcome, Brian. It's, it's It's a privilege. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the East Main Podcast. This is Brian Brodeur. Please don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and leave us a good rating. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to drop us a line, you can, of course, visit our website, EastMainMedia.com, and follow us on social media at East Media. And as always, please stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening.